Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Finding Fire Island. I'm your host, Jess, and this is a special bonus episode filled with material that just didn't quite fit into a narrative, but was too good to leave on the cutting room floor and not share in some capacity. I also want to say I have loved hearing from everyone on Instagram, so please DM me anytime at JessXNYC on Instagram, and maybe I'll even see you out there on the island. Let's begin with Margaret Cho pontificating on our other favorite gay summer spot, Provincetown. I love summer gay life. Provincetown is is the one real place that I go, though. Provincetown is my true summer home. I really, I want to buy a um, cemetery plot in the uh, cemetery there, actually. That's where I, because it's only $500. And uh, Ryan Landry who's like my best friend, has already bought his, and I want to buy one next to him. But I want to buy 12 so that they're in the shape of a clock so we could get 12 gays so we could have a sundial. I love That's amazing. <laughs> that is absurd, and I love it. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's like, and I want to be the 12, but then we could have like the 12 gays so we have like a, a clock, just a big gay sundial. I think it would be nice to have um, there. It's a nice cemetery, and it's right by the, it's kind of by the water, and it would be great to have, like, some nice cemetery sex, some some guys to have some cemetery sex over, over by your grave. This is legendary Village Voice columnist Michael Musto on why he prefers P-Town over Fire Island, but still finds time to go to the underwear party. This first appeared in my interview with Michael Musto on Hot Takes and Deep Dives, so definitely subscribe to that if you aren't already. I prefer Cherry Grove, which is more diverse. The Pines is more sort of uppity white guys. There are no cars, there's no traffic. So you find yourself schlepping in the seat through these wooden planks sometimes for hours. So that's a problem for me. Pines, you know what? I put down the Pines, but I still have a great time with the Pines. I have a great, when I go to Fire Island, either of those communities. It's like the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm very respected there. And uh, I do like attention. But the Pines is primarily gay professionals. They're all 32 years old. They all go there to work out for their health and then do drugs. But I I do find once you go either through the meat meat rack or you take the water taxi to the Grove, it's diverse. It's it's more lesbians. It's it's more honky-tonk. I always have a great time. I can just stand outside the the grocery store and meet and greet. And it's really fantastic. And in Provincetown, I could fill entire days in Provincetown without having anything on the schedule. I used to go for the film festival and now I'm like, I don't want to be in a a screening room during the day. I'd rather just be hanging out at the town square or just riding a bike. I I adore Provincetown way more than even Fire Island because um, it's a city. It's also beautiful. It has seafood. It has drag queens. I'm certain you are friends with Daniel Nardisio, who produces the nightlife events on Fire Island. Oh, yeah. I've known him for many years. I used to be on his radio show. and We did live shows called The Shit Show with me, him, and Bianca Del Rio before I became famous. I mean, before Bianca became famous. But yeah, he does the underwear parties in Fire Island, which I went to once. And it's like, I really don't belong here. Nobody wants to see someone my age, even in even fully clothed, which I was. But you're like a fish out of water. What am I doing here? 
This is screenwriter Paul Rudnick's Fire Island origin story. Well, my Fire Island origin story goes back probably over 30 years. When I'd first got into New York, totally broke, had no idea where anything was. And I was lucky enough, I had no idea about that at the time, a friend lent me his shack. And this is back when Fire Island was very shack-friendly for a weekend all by myself. And I didn't even know anyone out there. And I figured out how to get there. And the main thing I remember is that when I woke up there on the first morning, I heard splashing. And then I realized that there were porn stars who were in the shack next door to me shooting a film. And then when they were on breaks between scenes, they would go to the pool on the other house, on the other side of me. And I thought, okay, I'm basically in paradise now. So it was just delicious. And it was the best introduction. And there, it's, there's no place like it. What year was that? Lord only knows, probably sometime early 80s. There are no cars, which is somehow a great leveler and a great relaxant as well and a great antidepressant. You do not have to walk both ways, although people have been frequently known to get drunk and fall off the boardwalks and break things like their limbs. But I think I always I'm such a a hardcore New Yorker that I loved how accessible it was. You know, I know people love justifiably love Provincetown, but that's still a trek. You know, you really have to make plans. It's more expensive. But the Pines is just there. As we mentioned in the series, nightlife empresario Daniel Nardiccio took over the Ice Palace this year from its previous owner, a straight guy who was universally disliked and had a reputation for running the Ice Palace into the ground. And he's not a nice guy, and I really had a hard time because he, we, everything we did succeeded in spite of him, not because of him. He could have supported us, but it was always like someone once said to me years ago, you'll never be happy if you're counting other people's money. And I felt like he would sit there and go, he's making so much money at the door. And I'd be like, you're making so much money at the bar. And you could be making more money at the bar if you were focused on the bar. It's a little bit like the Pines. They focused so much on trying to compete against me on Fridays, which never were in the Pines, that now they have shitty Saturdays because they're trying to do everything on Friday. And it's like, I went out to the island when I went 25 years ago. I looked for a slot where nothing was going on, and I filled that slot. You're literally looking, how can we take from Daniel? Not even just Daniel, but the people that are enjoying it. How can we make it like less crowded so they're not going to enjoy it? Like You're trying to take joy from people. And I just think Dr. Frank was, every year he'd go to his staff and be like, is there a way we can take the underwear party ourselves? And they would go, you're going to run into the ground. You're a straight veterinarian and not, not likable. I also asked Daniel what his feeling was on women going to the weekly underwear party in Cherry Grove. I love them, but I also think, like I think about heterosexuals, straight women, I just think be sensitive to the environment. It's a tough one because they're like my sister, but as long as they don't infringe upon the sort of more private areas, you know, there's this like, oh, let's go look, making fun of and laughing thing that happens that I think gay men, you know, we talk so much about safe spaces, but we generally talk about it for trans individuals. We talk about it more so for women, and I they definitely need it. But I think gay men have a right to say, we want this space to ourselves. But when you do, you gotta be careful, because then you open a whole Pandora's box of people getting upset. So I think women should be a little respectful of that and maybe say, you know what, that's not really... Although we have a straight bartender from the Pines that brings his girlfriend in the back room and bangs her. So, I mean, and everyone seems to enjoy that. So I guess it's like 
whatever, you know? I guess it's like an, an a, a, as-needed basis or whatever. One of my favorite topics of discussion is the deleted Real Housewives of New York scene where Bethany goes to the Fire Island Pines. I recently put this scene up on my Instagram at JessXNYC if you want to take a peek. Here I am with Countess Luann's cabaret director, Ben Rimmelauer. Have you ever seen the deleted Roni scene where Bethany goes to yes, Fire Island? Yes, Iconic. Yes, love. I, well, one of my happiest moments on Fire Island was 2010. I was trying to get over uh, a broken heart and my friend Jeffrey said, let's go to Fire Island. We'll just find some shitty extra bed somewhere to stay in. We'll just go for the night because we were so broke. But we wound up, it was my last uh, year there on drugs. We wound up taking ecstasy and hanging out on the roof all night. But I remember like the peak of my experience was when uh, Jeffrey told me that he saw me as like a Bethany, a gay Bethany Frankel. And I remember just like looking at the (laughs) waves on the ocean as the ecstasy rolled in my brain, just being like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm Bethany Frankel. Speaking of housewives, here's the king of the vulture recaps, Brian Moylan. I will say, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I'm going to say it. The only STI I ever got was on Fire Island. Um, And it was like Friday night. It was when I was working the underwear party that summer. And I was showing symptoms at the underwear party. And I was like, ooh, girl, I need to go to the clinic. So the next morning, the clinic is open from like, it's either 11 to noon or noon to 1. And I got there. Our house was right next to the clinic. And I got there like 15 minutes early. And there was already a line of like fags out the door. And I got in and she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, STI, there's discharge. And she's like, we're treating it all. And they just gave me like every shot, every pill I could need, sent me on my way, didn't charge me a dime. And I was like, this right here is gay brotherhood, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, thank you for your service, Fire Island Pines. Uh, I don't, why, why was I telling you the story? What did you ask about? <laughs> it wasn't SCI's. This is comedian and actor Matt Rogers with a real behind the scenes look at the Fire Island movie. Because I know you only filmed on Fire Island for two weeks, but the total shoot was like six weeks. Which pieces were filmed on like a soundstage? I will blow your mind. So this is some movie magic behind the scenes for everyone that's seen the movie. Everything exterior outside at the and the Fire Island Pines was shot in the Fire Island Pines, except the house where we stay was shot on Long Island. Margaret's house that we that we that's our our house in the movie that was shot in Old Westbury. The rich people's house was shot in Sands Point, so that was all the way up on North Shore, Long Island, like you know where all those mansions are. And the pavilion and the Ice Palace are sets, so we did not actually shoot inside those interior exterior transitions, like from the Ice Palace underwear party to the inside to outside inside like they're seamless. But they really recreated the pavilion. I was certain you filmed the pavilion at the pavilion. We did not. So we when, when we're doing the, the the karaoke scene singing the Sometimes by Britney Spears and then we go outside that is weeks apart and we shot the pavilion on a set in Brooklyn and then we walked outside and we were shooting actually on the pavilion dock but yeah that was that was just directed and edited and designed so seamlessly because all those interiors are sets and also i think there might have been a little bit of drama with the pantry because 
you know, a lot of what we talk about in regards to the pantry is how expensive it is and them denting cans to try to get like, you know, discounts. But um, we we made sure to throw in some really positive things about the pantry too, because it is iconic. And as long as we got to represent like a true pantry girl, we succeeded. Were there any alternate titles? Like, was it ever potentially going to be called The Pines? Or what were some of the alternate titles? One title that was thrown out there was Pines, like just, and then The Pines. I liked Pines because I thought it meant like pining, but also it was The Pines. Like, ultimately, I do think Fire Island is the best title. But uh, Joel really wanted it to be called Trip. It was actually originally called Trip at Quibi, um, and then it changed. But, you know, there was, of course, like the first thought thing to call it like Pines and Prejudice, which I'm really happy we didn't. Let's get serious for a minute and discuss the annual Blackout Weekend that did exist for 11 years before being canceled. The Blackout Weekend was a popular beach party which celebrated and drew thousands of black and brown folks to the island each year. I chatted about this with Tom McDash, the founder of Bebek, the Black and Brown Equity Coalition. Yeah, the Blackout Weekend basically was this huge weekend where black folks came out to hang out on the beach uh, in Cherry Grove. And from what I've heard, because this was like one of the first things that we tried to get information on, was like, why did it go away? It was like so big. Apparently, I heard from some people that it got too big for just the logistics of the community, which sounds weird to me because it's like when you see things happening like the Pines Party or the Invasion, how could Blackout get too big? The official press release says that while thousands of people attended Fire Island Blackout, the reality is that only a handful of people actually purchased the admission bracelets. So therefore, they weren't able to recoup their expenses, meaning beach cleanup, trash removal, security, tents. And they did note this significant disparity between the number of people who were buying the admission bracelets and those who attended the event. And I've also heard people just say that they didn't reach out to the community associations and try to like work with them, I guess, regarding logistics. And the community did not like everybody coming out. And I've heard that they were really more kind of like driven out. Here's Victor Jeffries, who helped run Bebek alongside Tom McDash. Victor chatted about the weird relationship between the presidents of the Pines and Cherry Grove when it comes to working with Bebek. I mean, if I remember correctly, Henry Robin, who is now, I think, three years in as the president of FAPOA, when we first started doing this work, which was literally at the beginning of his tenure, he expressed to me that he didn't have a relationship, didn't have a relationship with basically his equivalent in the Grove. It has developed over time, but that to me is crazy. And I'm guessing that it was similar before. It's just kind of the way it is, right? But, you know, so it's just funny. To me, it's like you become the president of the United States, you know, that first night or the second day, you pick up the phone and you start calling and there's a list and there's an order and people get mad. You call me first, you call me second, whatever. But it's like, you would assume that the other faggot place right down the street would be the first place you call. But somehow it is not. And hopefully that changes. But it's like, if they come after us, team, we should be working together. And I'm not saying we're working against each other, but we should be better friends. Like, what is going on? 
Victor and I also chatted about the police presence in the Pines. It's tricky. You know, you talk about police, people get very, very sensitive. Why? Because, you know, the police have a good relationship with the Pines, and we get a huge pass, like doing drugs and sucking dick on the boardwalk and not getting in trouble, and that's great and wonderful. And people have died out there. But the idea of talking about, like, why are there more police walking through the boardwalks? Because we all know from a statistical perspective, the first person to get in trouble by a cop is a black or brown person. And so, okay, so that makes us a little, feel a little, you know, weird. So we should talk to the police. Well, a lot of the establishment organizations do not want to do that. Why? Because they want to preserve the already kind of, I'll turn away, I'll I'll look to the other way kind of relationship. So it's a tricky thing, right? Somehow when I was chatting with Margaret Cho about the legendary notable figures of Fire Island, like the writers and artists, this is where her mind went. So it's just continuing to acknowledge that and to memorialize the important figures, whether that's Robin Bird or or Jack. Jack was this guy who, uh, he died recently, but he gave the best blowjobs on the island. And anybody that lived there for any period of time got a blowjob from him in the because he had, he had no teeth, so he would take out his dentures and just really go to town. And that's the thing that, like, you know, Jack was to everything. Jack, if you needed weed, he would bring you marijuana. He would have it. He would be, like, have such a huge stash on the island. You could go to him for that or a blowjob or whatever. Um, and he lived into his, I think, 90s and was sucking and smoking the whole time. So, you know, th- that's the reason why we should buy houses there. Here's Joel Kim Booster's origin story. It's hard to know when I first learned about Fire Island because I think it since I've been, you know, coming of age as a gay man, it's it's always sort of been a, a fixture, uh, more so an idea than an actual place, I think, at, at, at least at the beginning. I think, like, Fire Island has always been a punchline about, you know, a gay place to go, I think. Like, especially coming up in comedy, I think, like, Fire Island has served as a sort of shorthand for just a generic gay place where it's it's sort of like the home planet for gay men is sort of the idea that you get when you listen to, especially like straight comics talking about Fire Island. Joel Kim Booster also randomly told me a story about an acid trip on the island that involved watching a cat give birth. One of my favorite memories from Fire Island was, um, it was the end of the week. It was, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. Before we left the island, the island had sort of emptied out and we decided to drop acid. Um, and it was my first time doing acid and it was the perfect place to do it because it was out in nature. We started on the beach, we walked back to our house and we just proceeded to have one of the most like magical transformative days I've ever had thanks to thanks to the acid. I mean, I just we were running around the island. It felt like we were the only people there. Um, we saw so many things that I, I'm still not sure what is real and what is, what is the acid from those, from that day. Um, what did you say? We, well, at one point we stumbled upon a cat that had just given birth and there is nothing quite like, uh, again, it is that, that mix of like nature right there in front of you. Like you reach out and touch it sort of 
tranquility of it all it was it was insane i mean we were like are we literally seeing the beginning of life while we're on acid on fire island here's architect christopher rollins with a bit more on sharehouse culture i think that one thing that is very unique about the pines and i suppose cherry grove as well is that the norm there is for people to share houses. Even when they're making a lot of money and over 40, and most people are done sharing much of anything by that point. But it's just very much a part of our culture is that communality. And for example, in my own house, you know, we're a varied group of people, all different ages, all different interests. We're all out doing our thing during the day, but we all gather for dinner. It's just part of the ritual of being out there. And I think that it creates a sort of sense of closeness and community that as people go through the trajectory of their lives and do all the things that they think constitute a successful life in terms of affluence, a lot of those things really isolate you. If you're just, say, with a spouse and not with friends and sharing all of those experiences on a daily basis. And, you know, I really love New York City, but it's so vast that it's really hard to create a social life that entirely gels. And because Fire Island is compact and walkable and we share houses, there is this sense of repetition and spontaneously running into people, which really is a lot of the basis for friendships developing. Finally, here's more from my interview with DJ Lena Bradford talking about the marketing campaign she turned out, how she organized which music to play each night, and also why she left after 10 years. So then from there, I created Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. I was doing four nights a week. Thursdays was called Rewind Thursdays. It was my 80s night. It was the introduction when everybody starts their A or B side of the island. You know how it works. And it was so much fun because I love 80s music, but, it's, you know, my stuff is never cheesy or um, commercial. It's the obscure shit. And people are like, wow, she turns 80s too? Fridays was Lena's Lounge. Sexy, you know, Saint-Tropez, you know, all that kind of sexiness. And then Saturday was, Saturdays was called Go Bigger, Go Home. The beats are bigger. It's Saturday night. Boom. Sunday became the legendary TBS Throwback Sunday Classics, my famous disco night. It was insane. And then I started turning out the marketing and I was like, to PJ, I was like, Okay, I want t-shirts. I want fierce visuals with the the posters. And they need to go up at this this time. And they need to be in this neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. I mean, honey, I turned and I had the best photographers. I mean, I turned out that campaign. Shower curtains, t-shirts, everything. Pillows. People were gagging and they had it all. Talk to me about how you would document. But isn't it crazy, like, from what you were talking about at the beginning, like... This Fire Island seems so different from what's going on now that it's like, wait, but honey, that was only eight years ago, nine years ago. It's because there are no stars there now. Well, I shouldn't say that. No, 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 you're right. Not on this level. No, 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 no. And I, you know, the thing is, is that they're me, me, me people. I was about the community. It wasn't about me. It was about me being the person that brings a facilitator, a facilitator bringing people together. That's the difference. And when I left, I wanted it to be about everything that I brought and put together. That soul, and not just with the music, but that soul that I gave, I wanted that to stay. It didn't. 
I had to be that one. And I could still be there today, but I said after 10 years, I'm just done. The internet started while I was there. You know, I was missing out. And I was also living in London at the time. 10 years is a long time to be on that island. April to October. Why would you have to be there from April to October? I enjoyed it. I loved it so much. I opened my house in uh, April Fool's Day. I I flew back from Europe in May May, May to uh, shoot the, the, the campaign. And then I'd open the house in um, April 1st. We then would start Lena's Lounge um, on my birthday. So I opened the season uh, in April because, you know, all the owners and people, it's the best time. The beginning and the end of the season is just, it's so pure and special and beautiful. When you listen to the sounds back then, it was about the vocals. Uh-huh. It was so vocal And I think heavy. that's why I was so um, uh, welcomed is because I did that. And that's the school I come from. Like when I did low T. I made certain that it was like you were at Paradise Garage. I know how to morph. And you can't go in there playing pots and pans and, you know, think that that's how it's going to be in the afternoon. Nobody wants to hear that. Not everybody's twisted on fucking, you know, whatever. (laughs) Baby, it should be spiritual and sexy and beautiful and instruments and vocals. So mother comes from that. So that's what I gave you the whole time I was out there. In different carnations. You know, I said afternoon situations, that's what needs to happen there. And that's why everything I did worked because it was all done with soul and with instruments and vocals. It wasn't pots and pans. You know, you can go to Pavilion late night for that. You have this great quote. You said, you said, you're going to feel my music if you've got soul in you. And even if you don't have soul in you, I'll find it. Oh, that was a good one. It's true. Because we all have it. Just like we all have an innate um, gift inside of us to have spirituality, but others don't work on it. It's if you choose to. We have all of these things. We're all created equally, but yet we are all so segregated because of what society has given us a blueprint of. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.